No, for some people, your life doesn't change that much. You, go to, you, you don't go to school, so it's not like you have school off. You work is work and whatever. But uh, as we as a church, you know, we look to summer, we, and students are obviously out of school, and some of you have a little more time, maybe not, but maybe you do a little more things outside, more, more family activities. One of the things I like to do at summer is just to kind of dig in a little bit, learn a little bit, maybe, maybe read a little bit more than I normally do, do some things that are a little bit different. So as I was thinking about this summer, I was thinking about how we can dig in and grow in the summer. I know plants grow in the summer. How many of you are mowing your lawn more often? Yes? And that rain this morning and last week, I mean, it's going to be, you're going to get out there and mow again. I mean, things do grow in the summer. We can grow too. You ever thought about that? And you as a Christian can grow? One of the things that I, I, I know, I, healthy things grow. Some of us were growing this way, but I, I want us to grow spiritually. And maybe you never thought about this, but your spiritual growth is, is really your responsibility. And part of you being here, part of you watching online, is you taking charge of that and growing. Now, the whole growth cycle, it's got a system to it. There's a process that happens. So in Christian growth, here's how this works. We work in connection with the Holy Spirit because he is speaking and teaching us things and God is confirming things in your heart and mind. He's got a plan to grow you from where you are to where he wants you to be. None of us are perfect. None of us have arrived. I tell people all the time, I learn so much from other people I'm around. One of the things I learned at some point in life, I don't remember when, but you don't know everything. Do you ever feel like you knew everything? You think you know, but you just don't know. And then you don't know what you don't know. There's so much you just don't know. And every time I'm around somebody who's got expertise in a certain field or something, I'm just amazed to think, I had no idea there was so much in that, whether it's plumbing or electricity or electronics or whatever it is, computers. There's so much you don't know. And we live in this, this life, and you can become insulated and comfortable where you are, and yet you're not growing And what God wants from us is to continually be growing. You can never plumb the depths of who he is. Our scripture reading program we're doing as a church, which it's in, if you're you're following along in the notes in YouVersion, the YouVersion Bible app, you can join us in that YouVersion Bible reading. And even if you haven't joined, you can still join. And uh, somebody joined a couple weeks ago and they're like, ah, it's taking forever to catch up to you guys. You don't have to do that. You could just read right where we are and just be with us. And then what happens is different people might, might comment something they learned that day. I learn every day. There's so much to learn. So that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be learning. And what I th- thought we would do today is go to actually a familiar story in Scripture. And you'll see how it relates to the worship songs, to what Pastor Jeremy shared, to that word that we had in the, in, right at the end of worship there. You will see. So let me ask you a question. Who knows you? Who knows you? I mean, who really knows you? Now, I asked that a few weeks ago, and I know that was a, this, that's a different question I was asking then, because I was talking about how we're kind of four people. We're who we think we are, who people think we are, right? Who we want people to think we are, and then who God really knows we are. But today I'm asking a little different. Who are you, really? Who knows you? I mean, who knows all the ups and downs, the ins and outs, the failures. I mean, who knows what you've done and, and uh, where you've been? Who knows what's happened to you through your life? The different things that shape and make who you are. Who knows your family of origin, which in a lot of ways give you your personality and, and the genetic makeup of who you are, which can determine a lot of times if, if you're a pessimist or an optimist or 
how you look or how, you, how tall you are, or all those kind of things. But then your family a lot of times. But, but who knows the things that happen to you? Maybe it's a tragedy that shaped you in a certain way. Or maybe it had something to do with how you've developed or your outlook on life. Or how, who knows the great things that happen or maybe the gifts that you have been given. Who really knows that? Who knows what you're really capable of? I mean, really. I grew up in a military home and so I was around a lot of young guys in the military and recruits who'd been through basic. There's a reason we put soldiers through basic. There's a reason for that. There's, there's a lot of reasons, but one of them is they want to push people to see their limits. Because if you don't know, then you don't know what you're capable of. They don't know where to place you on the battlefield because they don't know what you're capable of. They're going to put somebody that's not been pushed, not been trained out in that kind of a situation. Same thing with athletics. There's a reason practices are hard. If you played football, I remember Hell Week, everybody kind of dreaded it, and yet they had to do that to know what you were capable of. Can't put you in the game if they don't know how fast you can go or how much, how much you can take. I mean, all of that matters. But who knows what you're capable of? Most of us don't push ourselves very hard outside of those, those things, do we? I mean, not really. You might fast, which you should. It's a good spiritual discipline. But how many of you really know what you're capable of, even spiritually? As we walk through life and we encounter obstacles and things that go wrong, you get pushed. But who knows what you're capable of? That's something that I don't know if some of us even know. I mean, there's people who know you, but do they really know you? Who knows your dreams? Who do you trust and tell what you would love to see happen in life? either for you or your family, or who knows that? Do you share that? Who knows what your deepest wants and desires are and the values that you hold? Sure, for a lot of us, our spouse knows those things. and For some of you, maybe you're thinking your mom, right? <laughs> Moms believe in us. Maybe you're thinking about a teacher, certain teacher, maybe a sibling you've shared this with. So there's a story in scripture which you've probably heard a lot of stories about and we've probably heard about it even as kids in Sunday school or maybe you've read about it in the Bible. This story happens in a time of Israel's history but before they had kings and they were, they were still a fledgling group of people but they were kind of separate tribes working these things out. And what God had done is they were in the promised land but they still hadn't fully taken it over. They're in the promised land, so the promise is there, but they hadn't acquired it. They weren't settled. And what God did is he gave them people they called judges. And these judges he gave to the people to guide them, they had a lot of flaws. And as you look at them, you look at them and you think, God, couldn't you have picked someone better maybe? But what he does is he uses people that God sees potential in, and he sees something in them, and he uses them most of the time, beyond what they were capable of. And if you look at the lives of the judges and you follow them through, even the judges didn't always end well. I know this may sound, but I love that. I don't love that they didn't end well. I love that God tells the truth. When you look at scripture, it's so honest about the human condition and what God wants from us. And in this particular case, it opens up in Judges chapter 6 and says that the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They did evil. They made poor choices. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites, it was another people group, for seven years. And in that time, the Midianites were so cruel 
that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves. Here's what I want you to grasp. This was the promised land, and now they're hiding from the people there. They're hiding in caves, and it says they're hiding in, in mountains and strongholds. Wherever, wherever they planted their crops, the, the marauders from Midian would come, and they would destroy everything that they had planted. And they would destroy up and down the coast region. And the Israelites had nothing to eat. And then they would take their sheep and their goats and their cattle and donkeys. And these enemy hordes would come with their livestock and tents. And they would plant themselves where the Israelites were supposed to be reaping God's blessings. They would take it. And it says that they would take everything. And they would stay until the land was stripped. And that the Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Remember why this happened? Why it happened? The Israelites were sinning. They weren't, they weren't doing what God had told them to do. So they did what we usually do when we run into problems. What do they do? Well, we might as well pray, right? Nothing else is working, so we're going to turn to God. So they cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord for help, God sent a prophet. And the prophet came to them and said, this is happening because of your disobedience. And he tells them that. He tells them, you need to turn back to God because you, you, you're experiencing what, what you have. You have it, uh, these are the results of your own behavior. And God says, I am the Lord your God. You must worship, not worship the gods of these uh, pagans. But you have not listened to me. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Orpha which belonged to Joash of the clan of Ebiezer, Gideon, the son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. These stories are what we call historical narrative. The Bible is so full of literary, just beautiful liter- literature. It's incredible. This particular story we're reading is what we would call historical narrative. You're hearing what had happened there, and parts of it are not, they're not read to be, like, we're not supposed to do what Gideon was doing. Does that make sense? It's just describing what he did. So in this case, it's descriptive, not prescriptive. So he's there, and you might wonder, why would God give us stories like this? Here's, here's something that you need to understand. This is a biblical principle. When you read these stories... They're given to us for you to see how God is working. That's what you're supposed to see. And then as you see how God works there, then you can apply him to work in a similar way in your life. And also with these stories, a lot of times what happens is we can relate to these characters because we're given so much detail about their lives. It's a narrative that you can see, well, I get what he's doing. I understand because I might have done a similar thing or, or my reactions to the situation might be similar. So you always need to keep your heart attuned to how God is working. Look and see what God is doing here. We can relate to these characters. I don't know about you. I don't know if you can relate to Gideon at all. And I know you're probably thinking, well, I'm not a farmer, first of all. No, I get that. But have you ever felt like you needed to hide from a bully? I don't know. Bullies are part of human nature. It's really sad, but that's part of our human condition. You see bullies even on the international scene. I think what's happening in Russia, with Russia and Ukraine right now is a bully. And that bully is attacking a weaker opponent. Maybe you grew up and you saw it on the playground. Maybe it happened to you. Maybe it forged you into who you are today, your response to them. I think for me, it made me a smart aleck. I use my mouth. 
to get in and out of problems a lot over the years. I mean, if I had to respond physically, I would, but I, it, my mouth, I think, was part of being forged by bullies. Are the odds against you? Maybe you're experiencing it in a different part of your life. Maybe you're feeling persecuted. Maybe there's persecution coming against you, and maybe it's from some place in your life you wouldn't expect. Maybe it's from friends. Maybe it's just society itself, and you feel this sense. I remember when my, one of my daughters came home talking about frenemies. She had a frenemy. <laughs> I'd never heard that term before, and it made me laugh. I mean, I could get it. It's a mashup of friend and enemy. What, what's a frenemy? Even now, it makes me smile because it was this guy at school that she, she considered him her frenemy. And now it's funny because I looked up that word, and I, there's even a movie about it, I guess. But it's basically a, fr- a person who ostensibly is friendly or collegial in some, with someone, but they're actually antagonistic and competitive with you. Do you have any friends like that? That they pretend to be your friend, but really, deep down, you wonder. Because it seems like they're working against you all the time. Or it's a fair-weather friend, also a rival. Maybe it's someone in your own family who you're feeling persecuted by. And you have to hide things because you feel like they're not going to celebrate God's goodness with you. And you wonder, what is going on here? Maybe it's just the world itself and the politics. I, I don't know. But the people of Israel, when they're in this situation, they cry out to God. Again, why were they in this situation? They sinned. There's a great scripture it, it makes me laugh every time I read it. It's in Proverbs 19. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness, and then they're angry at the Lord. You ever known anybody like that? They actually made choices that put them in the situation that they're frustrated with, and it's, they should be frustrated. The life situation is frustrating, but then who do you blame? You blame God. There's sins that we commit in life all the time. There's sins of omission and sins of commission. <laughs> My mom, she's... She's traveling actually right now up to, my, I have a cousin who passed away. My mom is traveling with a friend of hers to, to Northern California right now. They're on the road, uh, 10, 12 hour drive. And, um, and uh, my mom is like one of the greatest theologians I'll ever know. Because I remember one time she said, she quoted scripture, you know, he, that's, he that knoweth to do right, King James of course, he that knoweth to do right and doeth it not to him it is sin. I don't remember what I was not doing. I just remember her saying that. And I remember thinking about it, like, is that really the same? Well, kind of. Have you ever noticed the situations we cry out about and we're frustrated with? And we wonder, why didn't somebody take care of that? You heard that old, that old poem about somebody and nobody and anybody? So Everybody thought somebody would do it, but nobody did it. And anybody could have done it. But because nobody did what anybody could do, nothing got done. There are sins of omission that we have committed as a people. I'm not talking about each of you personally. But you wonder what's going on in our school boards today and wonder why kids are being taught things that are against your faith and values. And what have we done about it? I mean, most of us are content to let someone else run for school board or be the one to go and confront them or confront the teachers or confront the principal. And yet we're aghast at what we hear in the news. That they're literally teaching kids. I mean, you hear about... They make it sound kind of nice with a drag queen, but what is that? That's somebody cross-dressing and doing ungodly things in front of children? How does that happen? Why is that happening in libraries? Is it possibly because Christians haven't stood up and stood up for values that we share? That's a sin of omission, and we're reaping that. And we cry out to God, how can this be? 
that Proverbs verse kind of rings true. You think about what's being accepted in our society today or pushed in every angle, and yet we participate because we haven't done anything. Is there something you've wanted God to do in your own life? And you wonder, God, where are you? Where are you in the midst of this? That's where Gideon was. That's where the people of Israel were at the time. They were crying out to God because it should have been different. They were in the promised land. And yet what they were experiencing was not promised land type blessings. What they were experiencing was horrible things. I can't even imagine what they were going through. In our world today, it's hard to even imagine. Now, of course, we're in a series session or a situation where, you know, there are things on it, not, that we're not getting on the, on the shelves at stores. I get that. But it's totally different to have people literally taking it out of your hand. But maybe something you are experiencing feels like that. Maybe it's a healing that hasn't come or something big in your life or a change in a relationship or maybe in your children or your parents or something that you are struggling with that is super frustrating and you're wondering, God, where are you? Maybe you've been praying about your future or even the country or the family or something going on. You're wondering, God, I know you could change this. Or how in the world are you going to turn this to good just in that song we sang in worship? How about this? Maybe you've compared yourself to somebody else who you see being blessed and you wonder, God, why them? I am, I am here and available and I want you to work in my life like that. What are you capable of? Why does God bless them? Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. You remember the situation? Where was Gideon? He was hiding. I don't know about you, but I read that and I wonder, he was hiding. And the angel of the Lord is calling him mighty hero. Why was he hiding? Remember? He was trying to save some grain to feed his family. In a way, you could look at that and that's actually a very reasonable, smart thing to do. A lot of times we look at it and say, he wasn't a mighty hero. He was a coward and hiding. But on the other hand, you could look at it. I can understand how he would have justified his behavior because, after all, how can he protect his food and feed his family if he doesn't do it that way? It's actually a pretty resourceful thing to do. And I can justify his behavior. And I can justify my behavior, too, because someone else should be on the school board, right? Or someone else should be standing up for what's right and wrong. It's actually a safe thing to do. It's also submitting to what's going on in our society, And he was basically giving in and he was defeated. Do you know where he was at that time? I wonder what's going on in his heart and mind. Because in his heart and mind, he was defeated and had given up. And he thought God had given up on him. But what did God see? Why would God look at him and say, mighty man of valor? I I dug a little bit into the original languages of what that means. Because when I look at him, he doesn't look too mighty or manly or valorous. Those words are are very carefully chosen. That word mighty, it actually has some connotations that probably in our English version do relate, but I want you to hear what they say. Mighty meant powerful, audacious, a champion, a great hero. Did he look like that? Do you feel like that? He said, mighty man of valor. Valor means courageous in battle. In face of outstanding odds. How did Gideon feel? Here's what Gideon says back to the angel of the Lord. He replies, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? 
And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? And now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. You get the picture here, right? He's arguing with the angel of the Lord. He's basically throwing it in God's face and said, what about everything our ancestors said? All the stories, because it hadn't been that long that they had occupied the land, if you think about it. So all the stories they are hearing about is God parting the Red Sea and destroying the Egyptian army and providing food and water in the desert and then opening up the land, the promised land, and defeating the walls of Jericho falling down. And basically what he's saying is, where is all of that? Because I don't see it right now. I'm in a hole in the ground hiding from the Midianites. What do you think God answered? I mean, Gideon is basically feeling abandoned by God. He's feeling small and helpless and less than. And God had just called him this powerful, audacious champion who's going to stand up against all odds. And what he's saying back is, "Mm, I don't think so because you're not there for for me. Right? God, what's interesting about this interchange, God didn't even respond to all that. He just let it roll right off his back. What could, have, what could have God said? Nah, you sinned. You brought this on yourself. You didn't occupy the land like you were supposed to. God could have went right back. Boom, 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 boom. Right? He didn't even respond to that. He says this. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. It's almost like he just... Didn't even hear anything that that Gideon has said and just came right back with what God has said. Now, you may be sitting here and you're thinking, I've never seen an angel. All right, that's fine. But you're hearing it today. That's why we have these stories. I don't know what you're up against. I do not know. And I know there's people that are up against big things. I get it. But let's look at a couple things that the Lord said. Go with the strength you have. Gideon did not feel like he had the strength, and yet God is saying, it's in you. The answer's in you. You actually have the strength. It's in there. You have the strength, and God is sending you. So you got two things going on. You have the strength, and you have God. So Gideon's not done complaining. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. You know what Gideon is basically saying? I am less than less than. Right? He's weak, little, incapable, lost, powerless, hopeless. He's beaten down. All he's been doing is looking out and seeing all the death and destruction. And he's seen people starve. And he's doing the best he can. He's in a hole just so he can feed his family. It actually makes sense. And this angel of the Lord is telling him, no, you have strength. And I'm with you. Go do the job. And he's saying, okay, first of all, you let us down. Secondly, I'm not your guy because I'm nothing and nobody. I'm the least of the least. Now, God does respond to that. And here's what he says. I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Did you hear what God said? I am with you. I am with you. God is with you. God is with you. The reason we have this story is so that you can learn God is with you. God is with you. He's with you. 
Are you getting it yet? God is with you. God is with you. Do you feel it? He didn't feel it. He did not feel it. He was looking around and saying, where? And the angel of the Lord is literally saying, God is with you. He's telling you this today. He's with you. He's with you. Do you really need anything else if God is with you? I mean, really. You don't. But he's with you. He'd already told him it's the answers inside you. You have the strength. Go with the strength you already have. And he said, I am with you. So if God is with you, what else do you need? What else do you actually need if God is with you? There's some tragedies that have been happening in our world. And I've seen people mocking the whole idea of thoughts and prayers. And I understand why they do that. Because they want to also see action. And that is a Christian principle. Those things should go together. But when I see them mocking that, it breaks my heart because it tells me they don't know God. Not really. They're mocking a God they don't know. And they don't understand that prayer is the powerful part, the most powerful part. It's sad because what God was telling him is, I am with you. Now go do something. Both those things go together. What Gideon saw is God was weak and ineffective Weak and ineffective. Sadly, that's what our world says today when they mock thoughts and prayers. What they're doing is they're measuring God by what they see. And what they see in the world is ineffectual people and things not changing. And they don't understand that God is there. What Gideon saw, which you may be seeing, is that he felt abandoned by God. That God had abandoned him. He was looking at it with human eyes and using human measurement on the world stage and what he was seeing in his country and his family. He was looking with human measures. He was looking for measurable results in real time that he could feel and sense. He was looking for grain that he could serve to his family that wasn't stolen and destroyed. That's what he was looking for. And he wasn't seeing it with his own eyes. And what God was trying to tell him is, don't look with just your eyes. Certainly look at the world as it is, don't, don't, don't make believe, but also know that I am with you. And when God is with you, use the strength within you and go change the world. That's what he was trying to do. He was trying to tell him, do both those things. He also saw himself as inadequate. Himself as inadequate, the least of the least. Others had greater and more power and more things going on. And other people should do it. The somebody thought anybody could Everybody but nobody. Because it wasn't him. He wasn't doing anything. He saw strength in names and numbers. This breaks my heart. He looked at his people as being weak and ineffective, and that translated to him being weak and ineffective. I don't know about you, but who do you rely on? Where do you go when you need help? There are good places you can go. Obviously, friends, families, organizations. God, do you go to him? What did God say? Go with the strength you have, and I am with you. Go with the strength you have, and I will be with you. Why would God say that? Why would God call him a mighty man of valor? Because what God saw is way different than what Gideon saw. Now, of course, it makes sense. Gideon was beaten down. He had... They'd been seven years under the destruction of the Midianites. He'd had this happen to him over and over and over and over. So it starts to limit what he could see or what he thought he could do. 
But what he had not added to the equation is that there is a God in heaven and he works through us and he uses what he's put inside of you to do things that are beyond what you could ever imagine. I'm going to ask you a couple questions here. What if what God sees is what's actually real, not what you see? What if what if what God knows that he's put in you and is going to actualize through you and the actions you take, knowing that what God is doing through you is actually more powerful than you could ever, ever, ever imagine? And believe me, God knows everything. He knows your past. He knows what's happened to you. He knows your present. He knows your future. He knows who you really are. He knows the things that have crushed your spirit. He knows the things that you have carried. He knows that. He knows all of that, and yet he knows it, and he also has things that are planned way bigger than that. He knows what you're capable for. He knows what he's planned for you. He knows all your blind spots. He knows all those things, and he still says that you are able. First Corinthians, Paul says, we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. And all that I know is partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. The rest of the story, Gideon still isn't convinced, and he tests God over and over and over. And even in the big battle where God frees them from Midian domination, God, he's still testing God. So what are you supposed to do with this? Here's what, I'm, here's what you're supposed to do with it. You may be in a situation right now where you've doubted God. You've doubted God was for you. You've wondered, okay, well, I know he's done in the things past, but I haven't seen it lately. It's sad, but what have, what have you done for me lately? You also may be doubting what God has put in you. You may feel like the least of the least. I get that. It makes sense to be beaten down and to have doubts because things have gone wrong. And maybe it's not due to your own mistakes. Maybe it's other people. I get that too. But in your weakness, God is made strong. The world is, that God has created, it's, it's interesting because the Christian world, the Christian uh, idea is so upside down sometimes. Just like we heard in that testimony from the, today about how they gave and it doesn't make sense to give and that God would bless, but he does. That's what he does. And Vicki and Bob will tell you it all day long. So how does he work in our weaknesses? I don't know, but Paul said it this way, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. You know how it works? It's because if you really understand how weak you are, you know the only hope you have is him. That's it. And he's there for you. And he intervenes and he changes circumstances and he changes you. And as you step out and do what you can do, he comes alongside and does what you can't do. The question is you. If I could get Pastor Nick to join me. I think there's times where we think it's all up to us. And we look at us and we realize, I'm not, I, can't, I can't do it. And you're right, you can't. But he has put strength in you, and then he is with you, and because of that, you can do things. Oh, I love, I love this idea that it's not about me, because when I realize it's not about me and my strength, it takes this weight off me knowing that I don't have to make all this stuff up, because he's the one, he's the guy, he does it. I'm going to ask you to shut your eyes for a second. I want you to think about this. I do not know what you're walking through. I do not. But he does. He knows it from the beginning to the end. He knows you. 
He created you. He created you specifically. And he knows you. And he, he made you the way he made you for a reason. And he put the gifts and qualities and strengths and weaknesses. And everything that you are, he put in there. And he put it in there and he loves you that way. Just like that. And then what he does is he comes alongside. And just like with Gideon, he told him, you have the strength in you and I am with you. I don't know what it is you've been working against. I don't know if it's a bully or a a situation that seems overwhelming. I do not know. But I do know this. Paul, again, writing in the book of Ephesians, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. That's how it works. So with your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I just want to ask a couple questions. You may be sitting here today and you've, you're not even a Christ follower yet. You've, you're open to it. You're wondering about it. And you're wondering if that's all true, how does that work? I'll tell you real quick. We serve a God who came, sent Jesus to this world to pay the price for our sin. Our sins have separated us from him. But in his great love and care, all you have to do is tell him you're sorry for what you've done that is wrong. And then he comes into your life and changes it changes you and he works inside and he makes you more and more like his son I'm curious if there's anybody here today that maybe you haven't walked with him but you want to walk with him starting today you could start that journey with him today and it would last forever anybody like that here today you want us to pray with you we would pray with you God would forgive whatever it is that you've done wrong and change your life completely anybody at all like that All right, for the rest of us, with your eyes still closed, I'm just curious. Anybody here feel like you're the least of the least? And maybe you're looking at problems that are so big, you just don't know what, how it could ever work out. Anybody carrying anything like that today? You would raise your hand and we could pray with you. I do see those hands. I appreciate the honesty. I want to pray with you today. And as we close this service, Pastor Nick will keep playing and there will be down front to pray with you if you want prayer for anything. Like we said at the beginning, I mean, camp is no different than here. If you need prayer for healing, if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we've got people that will be down here to pray for you. Would you all stand with me? I want to just close in prayer. For those of you who raised your hands, for anybody who didn't even raise your hand, but you feel like you need prayer for this, join me in prayer this morning. Father, we are grateful that you love us, that you care for us, God, I'm grateful that you know us, you know what we're capable of, you know beyond what we could ever imagine. God, I'm grateful that we can come to you, that you who are able to do immeasurably more than what we could even ask or imagine, according to your power that works within us, that you can change us in ways we could never, ever imagine. God, we come before you this morning, we just ask you would take us right where we are, the least of the least, that you would do immeasurably great things inside of us, that you would help us to, to change this world that we look at and it just seems at times so overwhelming. And we ask, God, that you would help us to work in the world in relationships, financial situations, uh, healing those who are in need of healing. We ask, God, that in each of these situations you would do more than we could ever imagine. And we trust you for that today in Jesus' name. God bless you. If you didn't have plans for lunch, we encourage you to join us in the, in the gym and uh, be a great opportunity to meet some new people, enjoy some lunch, and then you can make a donation toward the, 
paying off the bills. In Jesus' name, God bless you today.